Welcome to Ancient Answers, our program on dealing with current and modern challenges by referencing the words of ancient thinkers dealing with similar matters in the human condition. I'm Shane. And I'm Gordon. Welcome to Ancient Answers. This episode is about plagues. Ah, part two. Part two. <laughs> Normally, plague part two isn't a great title for Yeah, anything. people don't really want to hear there's another one coming around, but <laughs> no. we felt that in the historical record, there is some interesting content. Now, the previous episode... We gave a kind of a historical context with a bit of timeline mm -hmm. of how it is. Uh, today we're going to talk about it as a cultural impact. Yeah, so one of, the, one of the things that we sort of ended off with on our last discussion was about um, a, well, a big one, big one was our ability to combat this kind of thing. Well, luckily we've got a much better understanding now than any other ancient civilization would have had. Um, despite that, however, the reaction to these kinds of things is something that we have seen over the course of history. So right now, we mentioned earlier the, the toilet paper <laughs> yeah. situation going on in the grocery stores and, uh, and how people are kind of stockpiling. And I, I, I got a text message from my wife actually today telling me that there was no toilet paper at all at Walmart. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, the world's over now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If well, you don't have toilet paper, then you're, we're just going to be waiting around to get wiped up. Yeah, it just... Sorry, that's that's a bad pun there. <laughs> but it is true, panic yeah. has always been a part of yes. place. Yes, and so just to, to bring it way, way back, we, we talked at the beginning of our last episode about the 430s BC and the plague in Athens and the way that people were react or uh, the way that people were reacting then. From there, it was a lot of, it was a great deal of it was a lack of understanding. Uh, we mentioned before about how, you know, especially because the Athenians were suffering from this, but the Spartans weren't that it might have been a curse by the gods and that the gods favored the Spartans in the war That's over right. the Athenians. Um, but the, the plague was so severe, actually, and the misunderstanding was so great that it created division amongst the Athenians. Mm -hmm. they, they were trying to find someone to blame for having this misfortune. Well, yeah, exactly. And, but it also just, the, the decision-making processes kind of went out the window as well. I mean... Um, that's the, true. There were the religious implications, but people started to question, again, the, their own roles within this Peloponnesian War, uh, and whether or not the gods had favored their cause or not, but also on a more individual level, because, again, they didn't understand that this was, uh, more, most likely we suspect it was a bacterial infection, they didn't understand that. So people were questioning, well, I'm very, very devout, why am I suffering because of this? Why is my family suffering when... I do all the ritual sacrifices, I participate in all the festivals, and I give offerings to the gods and votives to the gods. Why am I suffering for this when whoever it is down the street does none of these things and he's walking away scot-free? So, again... And human beings will always look towards... We're naturally, by our, the way we think, looking for reasons why things happen. Well, exactly. And I find it interesting that even nowadays with all the wonderful scientific technology that we have and our massive knowledge and understanding about these kinds of things, we still see some disinformation floating around. Or even though the information might be, or the correct information might be available, people aren't always that quick to pick it up and to react to that. Which is one of the reasons why I think we're seeing some of what we are right now with the toilet paper shortages and you can't find hand sanitizer in any store anywhere and things like that. Even though we know what we should be doing, we know how we should be reacting, there's still that misinformation or that lack of understanding going on. See, one of the challenges in terms of determining 
when and how diseases had an impact in human history is is obviously by severity. Mm-hmm. We know that the ancients were subject to a whole variety of diseases during their lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just part of living in the natural world without any kind of vaccinations, without any kind of microscopes, without any kind of germ theory understanding. You're going to be subject to what would appear to be the whims of or the gods, if they would interpret that way, or the natural forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also was seen as a judgment, so that causes, because certainly uh, the beauty of, the, of uh, Thucydides' record of the Peloponnesian War, he wrote this as the war was going on, is this remarkable book that gave a very, what we would almost call a scientific, uh, little bit of a distance reporting of how this war went through, and the fact he speaks about this coming along. It's interesting to notice he doesn't actually specifically uh, blame it on the gods. Mm -hmm. He does kind of nuance, say it sort of happened, not really sure whether it was the gods or not, but it seemed to bode uh, poorly because it seemed to be a judgment against the Athenians, who in the end would, of course, lose the war. Mm -hmm. So along those lines, I actually have a quote here from Thucydides, who, as Gord said, he wasn't too much in favor of the supernatural aspect of it, let's say. He he had a much more Hippocratic method uh, towards science. Uh, He wanted to gather data through observation, and he actually noted that um, all the birds and beasts that prey upon human bodies either abstained from touching them, though there were many lying unburied, or died after tasting, tasting them. In proof of this, it was noticed that birds of this kind actually disappeared. They were not about the bodies or indeed to be seen at all. So that's, that's a pretty black and white cause and effect situation that Thucydides was smart enough and to understood have, yeah. enough to have put two and two together that there might be something more going on here. Yeah, that's true. The birds would have some sort of natural uh, detection system in their, mm-hmm. in their instincts to recognize that the rotting body may have a smell that we wouldn't necessarily pick yep. up as different. They would know. It's hard to know. I'm speculating right here on, in terms of what would motivate birds not to take advantage of some mm-hmm. free food. Yeah. Well, and it, it's from, from that quote, it sounds, it sounds to me like there were cases where um, some scavengers, uh, birds or other animals, had actually had actually partaken in, unfortunately, the, the remains of the humans who had passed away from the disease uh, and had in turn fallen ill or died themselves. So it might have just been a learned behavior as well from you know, seeing other, other things suffer the same kind of fate. Well, certainly if we fast forward a bit in time and c- come back to the 541 with mm-hmm. the Justinian plague, yep. which is remarkably well documented. It, we, the we, Romans were good at keeping they records. Were, they were, and this is <laughs> why were. we're focusing on the Roman records as opposed to other places. We will talk in a few minutes about some mm-hmm. other cases around the world. You want to bring a point about the New World and some yes, challenges. Yes, right. We'll get to there. Uh, the, the interesting thing about Justinian was its interpretation was almost exclusively religious mm-hmm. in the sense that it was seen clearly as a, as a decision by God because by then the empire had Christianized yeah. and its influence on it um, that that also created an enormous panic. And one of the attributes of it was, yes, a great deal of the population left the city smart enough to recognize that being around people sick made you sick, mm-hmm. and they dispersed out. It is also interesting to note that uh, in 541, the Justinian Eastern Byzantine Empire was engaged in a number of military conflicts, mm-hmm. and that the high death rate reported from the cities got out to the soldiers in a sense on the frontiers 
and there was some serious disruption in terms of military stability. Mm -hmm. It is interesting that there was a retraction uh, along the eastern side against the, uh, the Persians, they were different than the ancient Persians, who had retracted because simply they had to shore up their military lines to afford soldiers that had to go back and deal with the home crisis. So it actually changed history. Not only did it create a huge death rate in a major metropolis. I mean, mm -hmm. Constantinople would have been the, probably the largest city of its time. Yes. Uh, and the urbanization obviously made the disease travel a lot faster. But it actually precipitated a contraction in that part of the empire mm -hmm. that was never regained after that. Well, and it's I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because we mentioned briefly in our first episode about this how epidemics and plagues can change the course of history. And in the case of the Peloponnesian War with the Athenians, the war wrapped up 20-some years after the plague had struck Athens, but it is considered to be a very large contributing factor to Athens' eventual loss in the war. And same with Considering this, Athens had enormous resources compared to the Spartans. Well, and especially uh, they, they were they led the Delian League. They were they were the Mediterranean superpower at the time. They would be, um, yep. And they never recovered from that. They certainly made up more ground after the end of the Peloponnesian War, but nowhere near the influence that they had had before. And with Justinian, uh, there were a lot of economic factors with that, because as you mentioned, they were involved in several conflicts uh, in the eastern ends of their territory. Um, because of word, a word of the plague was spreading, the Arabian peoples who lived there at the time were able to encroach on their territories and kind of take some more land back from the eastern Romans. But Justinian also had his eye on reunifying the eastern and western That's Roman true. halves of the empire, yeah. which never happened because the plague wiped out too many people. They didn't have new soldiers to replace the ones who were dying because they were dying of plague back home. And so Lombards were actually able to come back from the northern end of Italy and reconquer any territory well, that Justinian had taken in the first place. In fact, I did see in one of the historical books that the number of active legions went from 28 down to about 14. Oh, so cut right in half. It would be half. Now, it doesn't mean that half the soldiers died. It seems that a number of units were moved around and disbanded because the internal pressure was they needed to get back to their families mm -hmm. or they had, they were, they recognized that being in the close quarters of a military camp would possibly, I mean, there was some, oops, there was some fundamental, fundamental beginning now understanding of how things were getting transmitted, mm -hmm. but they didn't know how, why. But they knew that being in close proximity of other people made you more likely to get sick. Yeah. So it affected the Roman Empire. Oh, it absolutely and did. Certainly the Byzantine portion of it. Yeah. So, you know, we, we refer to it as the Byzantine Empire, but back then it still would have just been the, the Roman Empire. The Byzantines just saw themselves as, as Romans. Yeah, they didn't call themselves Byzantines. We no. call them Byzantines. Yeah, we do it now. They call it's them, yeah, they call themselves Roman. <laughs> we, yeah, we call them Byzantines because it's easier. Although it's always interesting, a little side note, it's always interesting that by the time you get to the year 800 or 900 A.D., with uh, the Byzantines very much strong, they were you know they were going to last for another six hundred years at that mm -hmm. point. Uh, that Rome's population had dropped to less than thirty thousand mm -hmm. from a one million that had been during its its prime yeah. years. So very much like Athens, uh, gone are the days of glory, I guess. Yep, a ghost <laughs> town to walk through. Yeah, and there had always been a, a kind of a supposition that this is the curse of God, mm -hmm. that you had become a fallen city, you had become wicked, and you know it carried on through the medieval thinking period that the disease was a weapon God would use yeah. to to uh, punish bad people. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm glad that 
our thinking has advanced enough that we understand it's not a divine punishment, it's a bacteria or it's a virus. We understand transmission vectors and we understand quarantining procedures and trying to contain the spread. So uh, th the, this, this yeah. whole podcast is about how some things really haven't changed that much, but I'm happy to report that in a lot of ways they have. Well, they have because, <laughs> I mean, certainly up until roughly 1600s, before the discovery of the microscope, there was no way to physically see what was causing the ailments of human beings, certainly the bacteria side, which mm -hmm. are, you know, s several magnitudes larger than viruses. That took uh, until closer to the 20th century mm -hmm. with electron microscopes to pick that up. But the beginning of identifying that diseases were caused by these little tiny creatures that seem to be in our blood and seem to be everywhere on the surfaces of uh, things we use, that's a pretty powerful scientific insight that mm -hmm. would change the thinking of human beings around the world because yeah. now we understood a different reason. Um, as I mentioned in the previous episode, I, I sometimes poke fun a little bit saying, why didn't Moses come down from the, you know, from the mountain with another t commandment saying, wash your hands before you help <laughs> yeah. anybody give birth or before you eat, it will, yeah. it will, it will save a few million people's <laughs> lives. The other interesting thing about is uh, the use of plagues within religious writing. Now it is a topic of sensitivity that there's a significant amount of attributes of plagues a number of plague stories that have come down to us through the historical record never happened. Mm -hmm. They were stories given uh, to kind of lighten up a fireside, you know. Because uh, who doesn't love a good plague who story? Who doesn't love a good plague story <laughs> in the medieval time, right? You know, now it's now we can kind of laugh about it, but I don't know why it would have been entertainment back then because it was a very real thing. It was, <laughs> but it would be before. something that would would it would catch the attention, especially That's if true. anybody traveling from town to town as a storyteller. Or as a, a, a religious proselyter, yeah, chaos and drama itself. <laughs> now we saw it, it's certainly not within what we would say the official ancient times, mm -hmm. but we're going to finish off this one by talking about what truly is the worst of all plagues that ever took place historically on this planet. Yeah, so more this, than the more than the Black Death. Yeah, so keep that keep that in mind for context. So this one this one here was you know we all know about. 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue when he made his discoveries of the Americas and then the, uh, the exploration of the New World and the colonization efforts that went on. Um, it's pretty much common knowledge as well that the indigenous peoples of the Americas, so we're talking about in North America, the Native Americans, and then uh, the Mesoamericans, so Incans, Mayans, Aztecs. Um, there's a lot of knowledge, or a lot of people are aware of the fact that these people were hit pretty badly by old world diseases. So That's right, the Europeans arrived, they brought with them little visitors with them. Yeah, named measles and smallpox yeah. and, and yeah, horrible, and horrible, horrible. So, yeah, there's, there are stories about smallpox blankets and things like that, and again, just the trade network that, networks that were established with the, the indigenous peoples, but the scale of the plagues that came through I was, was amazed. astonished. I was amazed when you were giving me some numbers with your research. Yeah, so... I remember reading about this uh, years ago, and I looked I looked into it recently since we were going to be talking about this. And again, this falls outside of what we are typically going to be talking about in terms of ancient it, civilization. And a historical but, timetable, yeah. Mm -hmm. But because this is particular to the Americas, and again, it's something we are aware of, but the scale is just unknown. So to put it in perspective, between 1492 and 1620, the, or sorry, the pre-Columbus, so before 1492, the pre-Columbus population estimates for the Americas are anywhere from 20 to 100 million. So it's a wide range, but we don't have any writing from back then. So these are just best guesses based on archeological findings. But to put it in context, Europe's population was 70 million at the time. 
those diseases that came from the old world and tore through the Americas are estimated to have killed up to 90% of the population. So you're, if let's say it was at 100 million people, you're now down to just 10 million. In, like, in the, fact, there are more people of uh, indigenous descent in the North in Americas now than there was uh, at the time of the plague's uh, biggest impact, the European disease's big impact, mm -hmm. because we now have medicines that has allowed populations to actually regain their lives. But That's losing 90% right. 90 of your population within two generations, mm -hmm. trying to then offer any resistance against the European incursions. Well, and, and that's the thing, and, and again, for, tough. for context, we're, we're guessing that up to 90% of um, uh, Indigenous American peoples were killed. The Black Death killed 30 to 60. So we're looking percent. at... That's right, sorry, 30 to 60%. So we're, we're looking at two or three times the mortality rate of the Black Death. It was so severe that research from 2019 estimates that so many people had died in the Americas, it caused a global cooling event. Vegetation was able to grow and spread through previously tilled and agricultured land, wow. and it caused um, it uh, drew in more CO2 from the atmosphere. It actually caused a mini cooling event. Well, that's true that's, because... that's significant. Yeah, because we are aware that from roughly the year 680 to roughly the roughly 300 and sorry 1320 AD the Europe, the world was in a warmer phase than it is right now yeah. now that was a natural cause it wasn't caused by any you know uh, gases and other things that we're emitting today uh, and it cooled off and there has been interesting speculation of what was the factors mm -hmm. that did cause the cooling yeah. uh, that came back in the 1330s it's interesting that 10 years later you'd have the black death sweeping across Europe yeah. and then we also noticed that in probably the year 1600, give or take about five years, we are aware there was another settling of coolness. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, then later on, just a little historical record, it's not in the ancient record, but it does affect us today. In the 1820s, a series of volcanoes uh, also set off a, a drop in the temperature, and we're aware that there was a number of pandemics that broke out in different parts of the world. Now, that's more modern history, but it yeah. does show you that in spite of that, and here we are in the year 2020, we humans are still subject to those little microscopic creatures mm -hmm. and their effects on us. Well, exactly. And, and it is interesting to think about how, as we've brought up many times now, these things change the course of history. Uh, Gord, you were getting to the point where, could you imagine if those diseases from the old world wouldn't, you know, if, if they, they didn't tear through the populations or if they would have had much lower mortality rates, could you imagine if more of the population of the the local Americans would have still been around. I mean, we know from historical It records, would have changed history. Well, exactly. We, we know how difficult it was for British colonizers in the United States, for instance, to make their way west across the continent. Could you imagine how much harder it would have been? And I've got a quote here, or sorry, um, just a description from uh, Giovanni de Veronazzo. I don't speak great Italian, so I'm sure I butchered that, but uh, he was an Italian explorer in the early 16th century. Uh, he traveled up and up and down the eastern coast of the United States, and he said that the coast of New England was densely populated, and it was so smoky with Indian bonfires that he could sometimes smell them hundreds of miles out to sea. Like that's that was the world wow. before Columbus arrived, and, and all then, disappeared in a couple of generations. Yeah, about two generations, and it was it completely changed it all. Yeah, indeed. Now, uh, both you and I uh, come from European backgrounds, mm -hmm. and. Uh, we are, but as historians, I think we do find it very sobering to realize the horrible price that was paid 
uh, for this be- mm-hmm. from from forces that nobody understood at the time, that is disease, yeah. would make such an impact on that one. Yeah. I'm actually pretty grateful I live in the time I, I, I do because we have a chance to actually work on these things and reduce uh, you know, human, uh, human f- uh, fatalities. Yeah. And these diseases come along if we work together. And we're going to watch and we'll keep you posted because we suspect that with the, the shutdown of North America taking place as yeah. we live, we are living through a historical era right now. It is, and the interesting thing is that um, right now in, in Canada, where we are, uh, for us it's still early phases for COVID-19. That's I mean, right. We're already seeing how severe it's gotten in Italy, so every report and that I... And China, of course, yeah. Uh, every report that I've read is saying that Canada is very well prepared for this. We learned a lot from SARS back in 2003, we so we've got the facilities ready to go. Um, but we are still in early phases, so it's interesting to see how this is going to play out. But as, as Gord said, this, this is history right, right now. We're living it. And it is interesting <laughs> to note that most of the reports of, of uh, plagues and other major epidemics that have taken place in history, the time frame is about three months. Okay, there you go. Uh, even the Spanish flu of 18, uh, 1918 and 1919, which came in two waves, yeah. each wave was roughly three months apart. Okay. Uh, now we that would be that's obviously a modern event, and we're not necessarily going to go into that there because it's within literally living lifespans of people. The uh, the effect is being on the world is because we communicate now, mm-hmm. we can share, and I'm pretty grateful that we're more attuned to that as human beings to understand how to, how we deal with that. That's right. Anyways, thank you very much for. Listen to us today. It's great yeah. to talk about this, even if it was about plagues. <laughs> Gord's going to give you a little send-off. <laughs> That's right. You have been listening to Ancient Answers. Thank you for taking the time to listen to us, and we love to hear from you for your comments on our website. Visit our social media links and help us grow this channel. I am Gordon. And I'm Shane. And we'll be back with another episode of Ancient Answers soon.